Welcome back, fight fans, to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is episode 242 for the week of October 31st. Halloween is here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, Ring TV, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Great show for you guys today. Richard Sloan, Richard T. Sloan, joins us. Award-winning artist. You've seen this guy's work all over the place in the fight business. It's going to be awesome to have him on and talk. We had a fight of the year contender uh, this past weekend. You can really make an argument that it was the fight of the year. We'll get into that a little bit later. As always, guys, I remind you to please uh, thumbs up the show. Make sure that you're subscribed. You're clicking that notification bell. Get over to the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed there. Click that notification bell. Make sure you check that every week because YouTube does these weird algorithm things and they unsubscribe people all the time. So make sure you're subscribed there. And then, of course, uh, like the show, tweet it out, get the word out. That's the best thing you could do to help us out at the neutral corner. And then uh, same thing with the audio version. You know, on all the different platforms, iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure that you like, share, comment, all that good stuff. If I sound a little under the weather, it's because I'm really, really hungover. (laughs) Uh, Went out yesterday and watched the baseball game, the World Series. My boys, the Dodgers, pulled it out. They're up 3-2 in the series. I think they're going to close it out tomorrow night in game six. But had a few cocktails watching the game, had a few more cocktails to celebrate the win, and had a few more after that. We went pretty hard yesterday. I'm paying the price today. I paid the cost to be the boss. But anyway, I am excited to have Richard Sloan on. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, you guys have seen his artwork just at different fight promotions. You've seen his stuff. I think, uh, well, Canelo Golovkin, right? Uh, Mayweather Pacquiao, I think Mayweather McGregor. So he's been involved in boxing for a long time. He's done several of our covers, several, uh, several issues he's done the cover art for at Ring Magazine, which by the way, if you haven't got the latest issue, make sure you check it out. It is out in stores. I think we got some Sloan art here on the back. KO Tickets, friend of the show. He's been on the show before. Uh, That's his ad. But I want to say Sloan, uh, Richard did the artwork there on that. So anyway, and and Richard Sloan has a background in boxing. So that's why it's going to be pretty cool and interesting to talk to him. Okay, let's jump right into some news and notes stuff. And uh, I think we got maybe 15, 20 minutes or so before uh, Richard calls in. So let's start with some ratings. For the ratings bros out there, Lomachenko Lopez peaked at almost, I think it was just under 2.9 million viewers. Now, of course, there were some people on Twitter somehow criticizing that number. And I did, I find it interesting that, you know, some people were mentioning, well, it's, it's on regular cable, ESPN's in 80 million homes, blah, blah, blah. Guys, just celebrate it. It was a good number. Three million people basically tuned in to watch this fight. And so it's the highest U.S. rated uh, fight on, you know, off premium cable, right? But even if you're including premium cable, uh, highest rated fight in America since Manny Pacquiao fought Jeff Horn in 2017, which also was on ESPN. I want to say that was the beginning of top rank uh, on ESPN, their, their deal together. But this card, Loma Lopez, was almost six hours. It was a monster card. And the entire card averaged 1.5 million viewers. So a million and a half viewers stayed tuned for a six-hour card. That's, that's pretty amazing. That's the average number of viewers at, at any given time. And then the peak 
was nearly twice that. So and then if you look at the numbers hour over hour, and I'm not going to get into all that, but they increased every hour. So, so more viewers were tuning in uh, as it got closer to the main event. I mentioned this in a tweet. That, that fight went up against a huge college football game. Andy, a, it wasn't the World Series, but it was, a, I think, the American League uh, division uh, I can't, championship series. Sorry, uh, game. I want to say it was like game six or something like that, if I memory serves me correctly. So that's pretty significant, man, pretty significant. And the reason why I want to start the show with this is because later on we're going to be previewing a pay-per-view card that doesn't belong on pay-per-view. And I, I – I just think it's worth noting because if you're trying to build up, build a brand with a young fighter, I think that ESPN and Top Rank they really have something with Teofimo Lopez. I mean, three million people watched him upset Lomachenko. There's a lot to build off of there. <clears throat> Speaking of Lomachenko, he had surgery on his right shoulder in Los Angeles. It was minor surgery. I want to say it was in several parts of the shoulder. I think there's video and stuff. You guys have probably seen the videos and pictures of uh, where he had stitches in several parts of his right shoulder where it wasn't super, super, you know, uh, detailed or complicated where they had to take stuff apart, but they went in there and cleaned up some things on his shoulder. So apparently he was allowed a shot for pain before the Lopez fight by NSAC, which I found interesting because they would not allow Manny Pacquiao to have a shot before his fight with Floyd Mayweather. It just goes to show you how much Floyd really ran that division when he was fighting there. And even as a promoter, he, he definitely runs that commission. I'm not saying that good, bad, indifferent. I'm just saying it's, it's just a matter of fact. I mean, Manny Pacquiao had pain in his shoulder before his fight with Mayweather. He asked for a shot. They wouldn't give it to him. I don't think it had any bearing on the fight. I think Floyd would have won either way. With this, they let Lomachenko get the shot. And um, it, I don't think it really had any bearing on the fight either. Yes, it, 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 his right shoulder is his lead shoulder, his lead hand. Yeah, I get it. I still think it was just Teofimo Lopez's night. He fought brilliantly. That right shoulder, though, for Lomachenko, that is going to be an issue, an ongoing issue. It has. Uh, he tore the same shoulder during his fight with Jorge Linares, remember? So that shoulder has been a problem. I, I just think it's going to be a problem uh, maybe for the rest of his career. I've heard some things from a few people. You know, I heard some things that uh, it's been a chronic issue. So um, I don't know. It might be something that hinders him from this point forward. We'll have to see. Uh, fight coming together that I really like. Michael Conlin, friend to the show, who's been on TNC recently. He's going up against Isaac Dogbay December 5th. I like that fight. That is a good step-up fight for Michael Conlon. Uh, Dog Bay has a real chance. Conlon has a real chance. So we'll dissect that a little bit more as we get closer to it. But I like that fight a lot. Also, Vitaly Klitschko, test positive for COVID-19. Of course, you guys know, Hall of Fame heavyweight boxer. He's now the mayor of Kiev in Ukraine. Um, I saw an interview with him where you know he, he said, look, I, I'm sick, but, you know, not really having symptoms. I feel fine. I'm going to quarantine myself. Um, I, I'm the mayor of Kiev. I have to, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, I have to go out and meet people. That's part of being a politician. It's part of being in any leader. You have to go out. You have to meet people. You have obligations. So he, he said that he took precautions and, and, you know, took safety measures and everything. But you go out and you meet that many people as the mayor of a city. 
you're going to get sick. And when I saw that this was news, I, 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 you know, I don't know about you guys. I'm not going to get on a big political soapbox here, but I'm getting sick of the COVID fear porn. I, I think that this, whatever this virus is, and we're still learning more and more about it as we go, obviously, but we do know now that 99.9% of young, healthy people survive it. Uh, it's the elderly and people that are unhealthy already that suffer with it. And, and many of them die, but I don't think this virus is going away anytime soon, right? We're going to have to learn to live with it. And every time any, any athlete or former athlete or any type of celebrity test positive for it, boom, it's just, it's big news. It's everywhere, but you never hear the news when they recover. It's not big news when people recover. It's only big news when someone tests positive. Um, I just, I don't really see it as big news. It's millions of people have caught COVID. And of course I should state, um, COVID is a real thing. It's a serious thing and people get it. Uh, people do, some people do die from it, but millions of people have gotten COVID or or millions more will. The the more you test, the more people are going to test positive, right? So when, when I see that, you know, Vitaly Klitschko test positive and it's this big you know, headline, and the, I just think that there's a little bit of fear porn with the COVID-19 stuff. And I wish that the media would freaking stop. Captain Hook Chronicles in the chat says, it's big news until November 4th. I completely agree with you. I, I'm just, I, whatever side of the political aisle, because to me, this isn't really a, a, an issue on either side of the fence, whatever, you, whatever political leanings you have. Um, this is just fear porn from the media because they never report when, oh, so-and-so recovers. So-and-so is 85 years old and recovered from COVID. Like, that's never a headline. It's some famous person test positive. Well, no shit. There's millions of people everywhere testing positive. It's, it's, it's a virus that's all around the world. People are going to test positive. The news should be positive. I mean positive in the sense, like the meaning positive, where – when people recover and are doing better with it and, and we're learning more about it, that's the kind of news we should be talking about. All right, I'll get over that. Obviously, we wish Vitaly Klitschko well. I fully expect him to recover. Okay, guys, so let's uh, – while we're waiting for a guest to call in, let's jump forward. Uh, let's, let's do the review, okay, because – Let's start over PBC on Showtime. I don't think a lot of people watched this card. It was a little bit of a buzzkill because the main event, it was supposed to be Sergey Lipinets versus uh, Kudratio Abdukakarov, but he had visa issues. So in steps Kustio Clayton, who is an unknown Canadian fire, he, he, fighter. He did fight in the 2012 Olympics for Canada. So he had a pretty good amateur career at that level. Um, and he's never fought outside Canada, though. We didn't know what to think about him. Well, him and Lipinets fought to a draw. And so the judges, two judges had a 114-114. Uh, Don Trella had the Canadian winning 115-113. He thought Clayton won. And I don't think the, those, neither of the scores were bad. It was a close fight. I just, it wasn't a very, very good fight. This is for an interim title. Uh, the winner was supposed to be the mandatory for the winner between Errol Spence and Danny Garcia coming up. Neither really, neither man really pressed for the W. I didn't see anybody like really put their, you know, balls to the wall in the final round and go for the W. Um, and I just neither one of these guys, quite frankly, in my opinion, is just at that level. You know, Errol Spence is going to beat Danny Garcia. I don't think either of these guys would be a threat for Errol Spence. But the IBF, I, I don't know if they'll do a rematch or what's going to happen now with that interim belt uh, down the line. 
uh, it's going to be one of these guys fighting Errol Spence instead of Errol Spence fighting Terrence Crawford. Anyway, uh, also on this card, Xavier Martinez, uh, 130-pound prospect out of Sacramento, passed a test in this uh, fight against Claudio Marrero, a Dominican Republic uh, native, who's a good veteran fighter who's been around with some, some good fighters. So uh, Martinez improved to 16-0. This was a title eliminator for the WBA, my favorite. But this was a step up for Martinez, and he actually got dropped not once but twice in the eighth. So he got the chin checked. He got tested. He was able to get up off the canvas, showed character. This is the kind of performance from a prospect that you like to see. So I think there might be something to this kid. Now, the WBA situation, since this was a, a title eliminator, Rene Alvarado is the regular champion at 130 for the WBA, and Leo Santa Cruz is the super champion at 130 pounds. So Leo is going to lose that title. Gervonta is going to beat him. I, I don't know if Xavier Martinez is anywhere near ready for Gervonta Davis or Leo Santa Cruz. I don't think so. But Rene Alvarado, maybe. Maybe. So a fight between him and Rene Alvarado would be interesting. Also, Supriel Matias, uh, Puerto Rican fighter, 140-pounder, coming off his first career loss, uh, really, really just beat down Malik Hawkins, who is a pretty good amateur out of Baltimore, uh, came into this fight 18-0. and Just, he was stepping up for the first time. Uh, got that good amateur style and everything, but man, just no power. Absolutely no power. And Matthias had his hands down. His hands were down below his waist. I mean, literally, he was just walking right up to this kid and punching the shit out of him. So uh, sixth-round retirement win for Matthias, who I I think is an underrated 140-pounder. He's raw. He can be outboxed. He's not the most skillful guy. But he is a strong sturdy guy at 140 pounds and I think that he poses issues for just about everybody in that division I can't wait to see him again that was Saturday this past Saturday October 24th on Friday the 23rd we had a great card from Mexico City on the zone uh, the card was kind of long and drawn out and you know that the broadcast wasn't the best because it just there was these there's huge breaks between the fights that didn't work I wish they just would have got on with it. But what we got in the ring was good stuff. Uh, Julio Cesar Martinez with the TKO2 win defends his flyweight title. He was in there against the guy that, you know, I, I think it was, it was a replacement fighter. Um, really had no business being in the ring with him, but uh, Martinez did his thing. Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Is, Israel, oh, <coughs> Israel Gonzalez out of Mexico. This was Nicaragua versus Mexico. This was a good quality fight, and Chocolatito just showed levels, man. I actually think that Israel Gonzalez fought well. He, he accounted very well of himself, and he is going to improve from this fight. He's going to learn from it, and he's going to be a better fighter. I think he's actually, one day, he could win a title. At one point, I, I liked Israel Gonzalez. I saw some good stuff from that kid. But Chocolatito defending his 115-pound title, um, two strong wins this year in 2020. Two really good wins, man. Of course, he had the win earlier against Defy, and now against Gonzalez, who I think is an under underrated, underappreciated fighter. He is a fighter of the year candidate. You got to say, Roma Gonzalez is a 2020 Fighter of the Year candidate. How could you not? You could say Comeback Fighter of the Year. I don't know. But the the win over Yafai, Kyle Yafai, was a great win. 
And then this win with Gonzalez, I think people are overlooking it because Gonzalez is, I'm telling you, Israel Gonzalez is a, is a pretty good fighter. I think he'll be in line for a title shot again within a year or so. And I, I see him winning a title at some point in his career. Chocolatito is not the same guy he was a few years ago. He's not the same guy that he was at 108, 112. I think right around there was, was his real peak, probably 108, actually. Uh, but, man, he's still fun to watch. And I, I, I just I never could understand the Chocolatito haters. And they're out there because I saw some of them on Twitter this weekend. It just makes no sense. I know boxing nerds salivate over Chocolatito, and maybe that's what annoys some people, and that's why uh, they hate on Chocolatito. But, man, if you are a boxing fan, yes, he's a small little guy. He, he's a tiny dude. I've met him in person. He is a tiny little man. He is the size of my wife, pretty much, you know, uh, similar height and everything to my wife, you know. And maybe a lot of people on Twitter and stuff don't watch boxing under lightweight. Anything under lightweight, they just don't pay attention to it. But, man, you are missing out. If if you got, like, hater goggles on or you just have some sort of agenda that makes you not want to watch this dude. Watch Chocolatito and watch the subtle things he does. He makes it look very, very easy. He makes it look very fluid and almost effortless. So it doesn't look as spectacular and as exciting and, and as, ex, as, as explosive as some other fighters. But what Chocolatito does is so effective and so pretty. It, his shifting, his angles, his balance is breathtaking. If you're a boxing nerd, you got to love the guy. And another thing that drives me nuts is people say he has no defense. I, I tweeted about it this weekend, and you guys saw I retweeted some of Steve Kim's stuff, some of Doug Fisher's stuff, and a few others. We were all tweeting about it this weekend. Uh, guys, you don't have to, like, shoulder roll to have elite defense. You don't have to be on the outside slipping shots, m- making dudes miss that way to have elite-level defense. If you can do that and that's your style, great. It's always better to make a guy reach and miss and then counter, right? So if you can slip a shot, that's better than blocking a shot. Always, almost always. I shouldn't say always. But if that's not your style, and for a, a dude with shorter arms, a dude who likes to fight on the inside at mid-range, if it's better for you to be in the pocket and stand there and pick off shots with your gloves, your elbows, your forearms. Cities everywhere are experiencing the economic impacts of the pandemic. Unilever, maker of brands like Dove and Hellman's, is coming together with partners to form United for Atlanta, an effort dedicated to tackling issues facing our city in the wake of COVID. Together, we're investing in Atlanta students and communities, including providing funding for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Metro Atlanta. Visit weareunitedforamerica.com slash Atlanta to learn more. Encounter from mid-range, from the inside, especially if you could do it effortlessly in between shifting and you can change angles while you're picking off shots, while you're absorbing a guy's punches, moving him where you want him, getting him off balance, getting the superior angle, and then landing your punches. Chocolatito does all those things. And that's elite level defense. Just because you're blocking shots and absorbing them and rolling with them uh, and not making a dude whiff and hit air, maybe it doesn't look as pretty to the, to the casual observer. I, I understand that, but that doesn't mean it's not effective. And there are a lot of guys 
you see this with fighters out of Latin America. You see it with a lot of the fighters out of Eastern Europe. It's not an American style, okay? But these guys will pick off shots. They'll roll with shots. You see a lot of Mexican fighters roll with punches. <clears throat> they'll let it land a little bit, but they'll roll with it and come right back. Canelo does that brilliantly. But just because you stand in the pocket and you might eat a shot or two here or there, but you pick, the, pick off shots, you're in position to counter. For certain styles, for certain body types, for certain uh, – Whatever your athleticism levels are, maybe it works better for certain guys more than others. But, man, just appreciate the beauty of that shit. You are not going to see Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez around for much longer. Just enjoy him. He's another guy like like a Lomachenko where it's like, dude, just enjoy what you're seeing because it is different. It, it, it's a different style than we're used to. And I do think other guys are going to try to imitate what Chocolatito does the next generation because they're going to look at that and say, shit, yeah, let me, let me stand in the pocket and pick off a shot so that I can land something hard instead of being on the outside. Maybe I make a guy miss, but I can't make him pay. You know, um, I, I just, just enjoy it. Just enjoy the beauty, man. Um, so we got to boxing nerd out a little bit to Chocolatito. But then in the main event, Juan Francisco Estrada, TKO 11 win over Carlos Cuadras. This was a rematch from their 2017 fight. This, of course, was for the WBC Super Flyweight title. And this was a fight of the year candidate. Okay. And, you know, look, when I saw uh, Zapeda and Baranchek, I thought this ain't going to beat, nothing's going to beat this. This is fight of the year, hands down. Guys, I don't know. Estrada and Quadras may have beat it out because both guys were down. Estrada was down early. I want to say, what was it, the second round, maybe? I can't, I to put it on my notes here, but I want to say it was the second round, if memory serves me correctly. And then uh, Quadros was down twice in the 11th. It looked like he was out. I mean, the ref let that I, – I couldn't believe it. He kept letting the fight go, and you thought Quadros was done, and then you throw a combination. You're like, Jesus Christ, this guy has huge balls. You saw my tweet. Uh, you know, I found a picture of two huge eggs, and I just tweeted it and said, um, you know, file photo of Carlos Quadros' huevos. Oh, Captain Hook Chronicles says uh, third round. Okay, so he's down in the third round. And then uh, later on, uh, of course, Quadras down twice. And you just saw, man, these guys, this was even better than their first fight. Their first fight was good. The rematch was even better. I don't know, man. I got to go back and watch those two fights again. This may have been the fight of the year. But it's number one and number two. Clearly, number one and number two. And to get number one and number two within, what, a month of each other? Guys, the schedule's been all right. I mean, yes, the summer sucked. The quarantine sucked. And when fights came back, we didn't have the best fights that, you know, to look forward to. But how can you complain about the schedule over the last month or so? We've gotten two fight of the year contenders that would be fight of the year contenders in any year. It's not just because, oh, the schedule's shit this year. There's not a lot of competition. Zapata Baranchek and then Estrada Quadras were two outstanding freaking fights, man. So this was an awesome fight. And it set up a possible rematch between Chocolatito and Estrada <clears throat> for early 2021. Eddie Hearn of Matchroom, he says he wants to put it on in Los Angeles at the Dignity Health, blah, 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 whatever the hell they call it now. I wish they'd change it back to StubHub. I, I remember it was Home Depot Center. That's, that's what I want to call it. 
But I got you right when I finally got used to staying in StubHub, they changed it again. But anyway, if they put it there, it'll be after the election, so fans will be allowed at events again. I, I think that is going to be an awesome, awesome night. That might be one that I have to make the flight back to L.A. for. I might have to fly out there to cover that one live because that's going to be a special event, man. I saw them fight the first time in L.A. back in 20. 2011, 2012, I can't remember exactly what years, almost, I feel like it was almost a decade ago. And um, that, I really think that's an underrated win for Chocolatito. Most Americans had never even heard of him uh, before that. It was the first time I had seen him fight, I'll admit it. And uh, after that, though, it was like, oh, shit, okay. But then with Estrada, um, he, he kind of fell off the radar for a lot of people, but I've, I've, always felt go back you get you guys know i've been saying this for for years i've always felt he was one of the better little fighters in boxing and i always had him on my pound for pound list or right just under it like number 12 11 12 somewhere around there um but he's been on my list for years and he's another guy that kind of just slipped under the radar a lot of american fight fans uh, don't know much about him but he is absolutely a pound for pound level fighter and let me tell you something man if, if, this is a big if, but if Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez can beat Juan Francisco Estrada when they fight early next year, and Chocolatito gets back on the pound-for-pound list at this stage of his career, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Uh, that's just special. The guy's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the best little fighters ever. When I say little, I'm talking his, his natural weight, okay, maybe is flyweight at his peak years as a fully grown man. Let's call him a flyweight. So anything at 112 and under, right? 105 to 112. I really think Chocolatito is clearly in the top five. Clearly in the top five. And if he can come back and beat Estrada, and yes, it'll be at 115, but um, that puts him in a conversation as perhaps the best little fighter ever. I think it really, really does, man. So I'm excited for whenever that happens uh, early next year. They got to get paid, and for Eddie Hearn to pay them what they want to do that fight, they got to have fans, and you got to sell tickets, right? You put that in L.A., it's going to sell tickets. You put that at Dignity Health, StubHub, Home Depot Center, whatever the hell it is, you will sell it out. So if they do it there, they can raise enough money, they can pay the guys what they want, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Okay. I don't know if we're having problems with, uh, let me check my phone here, my messages, because I thought that we were going to have Richard on. I might have told Richard 530, so um, we just might have to wait a few more minutes for him, which is cool, because I can get into the fight preview, because we got a lot of stuff to preview. So, yeah, I think I told him maybe 530. So, okay, we got a few more minutes here. Let's jump in, man. Um, Well, okay, so... This Saturday on Halloween, we have three dueling cards, which I love that we have all this action, but I hate that it's all on the same night. I really, really do, uh, because obviously you can't watch all of it live. So we'll break that all down. But let's start with Friday. DeZone is back. Golden Boy on DeZone from Indio, California. Jaime Mungia versus Toriano Johnson. That is a good matchup, my friends. That is a good, solid test for Mungia at 160 pounds. I believe this will be his first official fight 
at 160. So uh, I expect that to be highly competitive, highly competitive. Um, that's going to be a good one, man. And then Rashidi Ellis versus Alexis Rocha. I like that fight a lot. That is a good, solid matchup between uh, two young prospects. Winner of that fight takes that next step, right? And depending on uh, how, how decisively they win, could be in title contention very soon. So that's a good, solid doubleheader from Golden Boy, man. That's a good, you know, diehard fans type of card. I, I like that card a lot. And then Saturday, Murat Gassiev. Remember him? Yeah. He's fighting in Russia. Now, it's been over two years since the guys fought. His last fight was at the end of 2018 against uh, Alexander Usyk, of course, in the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Finale, Season 1 Finale. And he's planned to move up to heavyweight. I've met Murat in person. He's a big dude. He will wear heavyweight very well. But his body has not responded well. His body's just breaking down, man. He's had a lot of nagging injuries. He's had fights scheduled. They've fallen through. Now, some of that this year obviously was due to COVID and quarantine, lockdowns, all that. But a lot of it's been injuries. So I want to see how he looks. Um, He he, he got him in there against the right level of opponent. No issues with the level of opponent he's facing. It's been over two freaking years. But hopefully we can find some footage of that because it's from Russia. And uh, I don't think there's international uh, broadcast of it outside of Russia. Okay, here in the United States, MGM Grand, Las Vegas, top rank on ESPN, the monster comes to America. Naoya Inoue, I should say, comes back to America. Inoue, 19-0, going up against Jason Maloney. This is for uh, the WBA and IBF bantamweight titles. I, man, I like Maloney. He had that good performance uh, in, in the bubble series. I think it was June, maybe July, that he fought and looked pretty good. It was June. Okay. And for Inouye, this is his first fight since last November against Nonito Donaire. Uh, one of the best fights of last year. You could argue it was the fight of the year. But as much as I like Maloney, and he has been more active, he just fought in June, I think he's going to get destroyed in this fight. I think the monster is going to make a splash on this fight. It's on ESPN Plus, I should say. I think I said ESPN a second ago. This is on the app. Some people are pissed off about that, but you have to put some fights on the app. You can't put it on regular ESPN all the time. So um, it makes sense that they put this on the app. It's cheaper. You put it over there with all the other action going on Saturday night and the fact that it's Halloween. I think it makes a lot of sense to put this on ESPN Plus, um, also, Ewa Brodnika and Michaela Mayer fighting for the uh, 130-pound title. Brodnika, her first fight outside of Poland. She's held the title since 2018. I think this is uh, all set up for Michaela Mayer to win that title. I think uh, Top Rank has guided her well, and this is her fight to lose, in my opinion. I think she's going to claim a title here. All right, guys, I think we've got Richard on the line. Let me jump over here to the phones and welcome our guest. Hang on one second, guys. All right, uh, Richard, is that you, sir? Michael, it is. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Very well. Thanks for calling in, man. I appreciate it. Um, I want to get right into uh, just your your background because a lot of people – 
know you obviously for your artwork, which is awesome. And we've seen it at all the different fights. Uh, we've seen it on ring magazine covers most recently the Manny Pacquiao cover, which was an awesome piece, but you actually have a, a really a lot of boxing background that a lot of people don't know about. So could you talk about that? I mean, I know at one point you were living with Joe Frazier, I think in Philly. So could you talk a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Um, firstly, thanks for the compliments on the Manny Pacquiao cover. But um, yeah, my background in boxing goes way back to my childhood in England, where I boxed amateur at a, a, a local amateur boxing club called the Barrow ABC. And um, at 16, I met Joe Frazier in London, and he was there promoting champions forever with George Foreman and... and um, Ali, uh, three of those guys were in were in London. Kenny Norton couldn't make it, so I got to meet Joe and uh, at the Thomas the Beckett Gym, which a lot of the, uh, the English listeners will, will will remember. It was a fantastic gym of a, of a pub, and uh, Joe and I just hit it up. So so he said, finish school, and uh, if you want to be a prize fighter, you can come to America, and I'll give you a place to stay and teach you how to fight uh, a little bit better than what what you've been doing uh, back in England and 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 that was the beginning of uh, a ride that I'm I'm still uh, enjoying to this day it's 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 been wonderful from you know from, from coming from a rural area in England mm-hmm. to, to go to North Philadelphia which which was the fight capital of the world uh, at that right. time uh, 1990 it's just it's been amazing yeah, I did. and then of course I went on to yeah to work with Emmanuel and all that right. other stuff and um, yeah yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that. How did you go from North Philly living with Joe Frazier? I mean, you didn't just work with the guy, but you lived with him. And then at one point, you you end up at Crunk in Detroit, and you're working there. You're working in the corner for for Mandy Stewart for some fights. How did how did that happen? How did you get from Philly to Detroit? Well, I met Emmanuel actually in, in Leeds, England, um, and uh, he had uh, Leon Zababa um, defeated Tom Collins. Uh, yeah, Tom Collins for the uh, WBO light heavyweight belt, um, late eighties, and then and then we did the Dennis Andres fight in England with uh, Jeff Harding at the uh, Hammersmith Odeon, and I worked the corner when Gerald McCollum knocked out uh, Mugabe. Um, hmm. At the Royal Albert Hall, so 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 I knew Emmanuel from being basically his English liaison, and okay. once I got to America, boxing with with Joe, yeah, I would I would see Emmanuel at events, and I mean we were we were great friends, and when I realized that uh, that uh, you know I wasn't going to be a world champion myself, and my my passion to fight kind of dwindled away, I steered toward the business side. So Emmanuel took me in as a as a general. Uh, Helped with the Kronk gym, let's say, and I worked my way all the way to uh, the vice president of the gym. Right, on, right underneath him, we were, you know, we 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 also lived together. I, I lived in his house in yeah. the next bedroom, and uh, we worked we worked eighteen hours a day. Man, I, I can't imagine just the the stories you must have heard. Be any time I could talk about Emmanuel Stewart, uh, I, I, love, I I don't know if you know this. I'm from Detroit, so that's my hometown, and. Um, Anytime I get to talk about Emmanuel Stewart, I love to because he just he was such a wonderful human being and just such a good person. He helped so many people 
in Detroit. He did so many things for so many kids there. And um, he opened up his home to a lot of people. You know, I, I know fighters who lived there with him. Um, Andy Lee, of course. I mean, they had a really close relationship. But the fact that you got to live with Joe Frazier and then with Manny Stewart, I can't imagine just some of the stories you must have. Oh, yeah, it, it's absolutely, um, I mean, amazing. It's, it's, it, it's surreal, and, and you're 100% right. I didn't know you from you were from Detroit, but now I do. And, uh, you know, Emmanuel lived in the Rosedale Park section, and, yeah. and his, his, uh, his, his house was open to anybody. I mean, yeah. the holidays, um, anybody could walk in and get a Thanksgiving dinner and you know, his famous barbecue. And, and uh, I mean, the basement was turned into living spaces where, you know Michael Moore, guys like this would would, would stay and uh, had a pool table down there, and, and every square foot of his house was dedicated to boxing. And um, I mean, he had fighters sleeping on couches if, if need be. Um, mm -hmm. He never turned anybody away, and and uh, did absolutely amazing things. So the stories that came along with that, um, I mean, we 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 could talk for hours and hours about it, and, right. and not even scratch the surface. Yeah, yeah. A wonderful human being. Um, obviously, yesterday is the eighth anniversary of his his passing, mm -hmm. and um, for some reason, this one hit me a little bit harder than than usual. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I missed him tremendously, and I went out and had a few whiskeys on his behalf last night. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I had a few last night too, but uh, I'm I'm struggling <laughs> today. I'm very hungover, uh, but okay, you know. You've had such a wild ride. We haven't even got to your artwork yet, but have you ever thought about putting all this down and, and writing a book? Or you could probably write a series of books, honestly, with everything that you've seen and heard. I think so. I think uh, I think at some point that that, that will happen. And again, it, it would be um, you, you know a really big big book because um, you know I'd done as, as a kid. My father was a blacksmith. He'd take us uh, to Appleby Fair. Um, which is um, in, in, in Cumbria, England. and uh... Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at mrsmyers.com. Cities everywhere are experiencing the economic impacts of the pandemic. Unilever, maker of brands like Dove and Hellman's, is coming together with partners to form United for Atlanta, an effort dedicated to tackling issues facing our city in the wake of COVID. Together, we're investing in Atlanta students and communities, including providing funding for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Metro Atlanta. Visit weareunitedforamerica.com slash Atlanta to learn more. You know, we do bare knuckle fighting as kids, and and uh, you know, my grandfather was a, was a, was a boxing guy. He was a British Army champion, and um, we we have a strong history from the areas of where like Tyson Fury is from. He's he's okay. from Blackpool. I'm like 40 miles away, and and so from from those beginnings to 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 be 
to meet people on the levels that I've met um, and, and being places. Sometimes, I, even to this day, I have to pinch myself and think, you know what, it, it, man, this is just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, what, what a life. It's, you know, it hasn't all been roses, right. um, but, but there's certainly enough content on so many levels from the art. I could write a book about the art world and just the struggles in the art world and the, the, the politics and, 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 you know, I mean, the whole art. Art history. I could write a book on Joe Frazier. I'd write a book on Emmanuel Stewart. A book on my interactions with them and and all the fighters that I've I've got to be friends with over the years. I mean, I worked with Lennox Lewis from '95 to 2003. Every camp, um, and we'd be in camp sometimes, you know, five months out of the year, and that's 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 a long time to spend. You end up over, over you know, eight years. Right. It's uh, a considerable amount of, amount of time being around uh lennox i can't imagine I, yeah, and I'm I mean, great... you just you just uh you become brothers when you're around anybody that long and i know there's probably uh fights and arguments and you know times where you get on each other's nerves and stuff but um yeah i mean being with in close quarters with somebody that long you're going to develop a bond and a friendship that I imagine you feel, uh, I mean, you probably obviously keep, keep in touch with Lennox and other guys still, I would imagine. Right. Do you keep in touch with guys and chat with them a lot? Or is it just like, Hey, Merry Christmas every now and then, or does it just depend on the guy? It, it just depends on the guy, obviously their okay. personalities and, and, and you, you know, Lennox and I, uh, don't speak that often. Okay. Um, you know, he has his family and we you know, we, but, but obviously with Geraldine who helped Geraldine Davis, who represents me in England and helps set up this interview. Um, right. Geraldine represents Lennox. So, so, so we have a very good, uh, a good bond there and, and the stories. And, you know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, um, we should have a 20th uh, anniversary of like a team Lewis get together in Vegas. Unfortunately, Manuel and a couple of the other guys are no longer with us, mm-hmm. but, but, um, you know, they, they can be there in spirit and it'd be, be nice, you know, for everybody to get together. It's, it's amazing how quick those 20 years have gone by and catch up with everybody. Egerton Marcus, Shadow, uh, you know, Harold Shadow Knight, uh, Courtney Shand, I mean, all Lennox's team, um, you know, they were one big family and his mother is a beautiful person. She was his personal cook and confidant advisor and, um, yeah, so I stay in contact with everybody. I mean, even Mazima Med once in a while will face FaceTime Andy Lee. I, I speak to Andy often. Um, um, you know, or, or Tommy Hearns, these guys. Um, just, just um, usually, usually about business. Somebody will call me and say, "Hey, you know, I'm looking to do a deal. Um, you know, can you get a hold of Lennox? Can you get a hold of Tommy? Can you, you know, you know, you, you know, see if Andy would be willing to do his charity event or something?" And okay. So yeah, people come so to you to get to fighters. Yeah. That's interesting. They see you as a, as a guy because they know you know everybody. Uh, that's pretty cool. But um, I so if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that you taught yourself how to paint. Is that true? And, and, and if so, when did all that start? Michael, that is true. I actually have never, I mean, I've done some, some tutorials and stuff on online and looked at other artists and things like that, been inspired and, and I looked at different techniques that I didn't know in the last 10 years. But, but prior to, prior to the internet and things, things, technology, totally self-taught. I just, um, always had a, a, a passion, uh, for art 
And um, I never stray too far from boxing. And uh, Leroy Neiman once did an article in the Philadelphia Daily News. It was it was actually my first full page article in '96. And um, they asked Leroy about it, and they said anybody that that thinks they can make a living out of being a boxing artist is uh, is crazy. So so they said they said you know there's no there's, there's no future in being a boxing artist. And uh, I said you know what I think I can. Uh, I think I can change that. So, so I've, I've felt loyalty to boxing and artwork, uh, you know, my whole life. I actually, um, you know, I did branch into some MMA stuff, mm-hmm. but but my heart and soul is in boxing, and I, I feel I've given my life and and everything to boxing, and it's it's been good to me. So, um, why change it? I, obviously, you could be a commercial sellout and pay pay you know, the, the, the icons and make prints of those, which might be the Elvis Presley's, the Marilyn Monroe's, the superstars of the day, you know, the, the, the popular things that hang in people's living room, Thomas Kincaid kind of stuff, um, just, just go for the money. But, but there's no passion there. So my artwork is self-taught and it's always been driven just by my, it's always been done my way. So, so it's, um, I have so much respect for fighters and for the fight game that, I've stuck with it. Yeah, and doing anything your way is the best way, you know, especially if it's something like art. Uh, is your family artistic? You know, did, did did your parents paint, or do you have relatives that were artists, or is it just something you found yourself? My father was a blacksmith and a farrier, so, so okay. you know, he'd chew horses and make the horseshoes and the ornamental ironwork. And looking back, uh, he had a very, very artistic I we lost him in May of this year and uh at 71 um and my mother's also got a, a, a oh, thank you very much uh my my mother's also got a, a very artistic uh eye but her stuff is more like gardening and decorating hanging flowers things that mm-hmm. don't interest me much but but, but I guess I guess that's that's her uh that's her creative outlet so 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 yeah we just uh creative kind of people and uh it's just um something i've always done and and combined my love of boxing it's it's uh it's just it's just hard to wake up and look at all these years that i've passed by and all these 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 great fighters that i've been around and and great fights that i've been at and and uh to watch how the industry is changing just not just the boxing industry but also the art industry and Mm. you know to be featured featured in Playboy magazine and things like that to try to get get boxing art uh, to a bigger outreach. Um, of course, everyone wants me to paint other stuff, but my passion again is boxing. It's right. so so I just, I just really don't want to be a sellout. Yeah, because you've painted famous people. I want to say you've you've painted the president. You've painted uh, celebrities outside of boxing. So uh, obviously, that's there anytime you want it. You can go that route, as you said and get that commercial success, the big commercial success. But um, I, I've seen you post stuff on your uh, Instagram or, or your Twitter where there's little videos, maybe it speeds up, you know, you painting and your process and all that. Um, do you enjoy doing that kind of stuff and, and, you know, sharing it on social media and getting it out there and showing people how you do it? There's very little footage, Michael, out there of me doing anything like that because I don't um... – I, I don't really do it out there. I don't want to. Um, okay. I, I've been 
offered. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people tell me a lot of time you should do time lapses. You should do. Yeah, I thought I saw I, a time lapse with... once of you. Uh... No, I don't think. Okay, it's very likely it was me. It 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 it, it, it might have been a may, maybe at the best, uh, like a beginning photograph. Um, you know, like a four four or five stages of 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 the painting. Um, but but um, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a guy that that wants to you know take till the limelight. I, I'd rather let the finished product do the talking and do the you know. You know the circus act man i'm not i'm not one of those guys that sets up in the lobby uh, lobby of the hotel and whips out some paints and fake easel and 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 palette and excellent and plays the game i don't you're more likely to find me you know smoking a cigar and 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 staying out of the way of the the limelight and just you know walking past uh, my paintings on the wall at the mgm and and uh just just you know discreetly i'm not I'm strictly not, old school not internet uh performer yeah old school man yeah it's, you it's, you've um, definitely got the strictly old yeah. school well you talked about you know art changing and it, that's one of the ways i see it changing is where you see artists you know sharing more things on social media and stuff like that but so that's something that you make a conscious effort to to avoid and you try to keep your process and all that more i guess just to yourself is that how you'd say it yeah um i don't know i just think i just think creating art is a very very personal and private thing i just i just yeah. think because you're you're kind of bearing bearing your soul there and and um you know there's i i have my own habits that i've create created over the years of uh painting i do like to smoke a cigar while i paint and, and maybe sip a little whiskey and i have my own playlist of music um so 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 it, it's not really so much protecting secrets or anything like that it's just it's just not being just being able to be myself as you said earlier anything you can do your way is a success so so yeah i just uh uh, i mean just very few people have stepped foot in my studio um you have to like i have to really really trust you in general or or feel comfortable because my studio is a mess i live like you know somebody would probably think the studio is a belongs to a homeless guy but um that, that's you know so that, that stereotype of artists yeah. living in crazy uh, messes that's true is what you're saying like the studio anyway that's, yeah yeah okay yeah time 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 times you by 10 you'll have an idea of, of, of how i operate gotcha well how does it work where so you you've you've done a lot of artwork for fight promotions like uh Canelo Golovkin I know you did that uh Mayweather Pacquiao how does that work do the promoters contact you through Geraldine and you guys just set it up is there like a contract do how does it work uh for a specific fight promotion let's say um I have a a guy uh Ron Pelazari who's been a is person did dear friend of mine from, from years ago when the Mandalay base first opened and he had a lot of good boxing connections with the casinos. So, so initially, uh, Ron got, got the artwork in some of the casinos and in, in, the, in the VIP hosts, um, where, where the, the, the whales would come and pick up their tickets, things like that. So okay. we got exposure there. Uh, obviously I knew people in, in the fight game. Um, my first cover, I think was 1996 for, uh, for ring um i've done did a few other magazines before that and a couple of programs for the pencil for golden gloves and it just kind of built up and now 
I think Ricky Hatton said it quite recently in, in an interview um, that that um, if you know you get a Sloan painting, and I, it's, it's it's a wonderful compliment, and it's kind of it's very humbling, and and I don't want to sound like a big head, but but he said uh, if if Richard Sloan paints you, you know you're somebody in the boxing game, and so that's how the promoters see it. I think that's that that these premium events, whether it's it's. Uh, Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellaby or, or Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy or, or Bob and Top Rank, um, you know, the, the heavyweight championships of the world. Going back in history, if you look, a lot a lot of the fight programs and, and uh, magazines, you know, illustrations and fight art has been around since, I think, uh, 1350 BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they found paintings and paintings of people with gloves on uh, fighting, um, maybe it was in Egypt or somewhere, but but it's paintings on the wall. So it, it it's a it's a long long relationship with with pugilism that is uh, is thriving, and I'm I'm basically trying to take it to a little bit of a crossover and get it to the fine art galleries uh, with, with some bigger collectors and show them how important the uh, the fighting arts um, are. Not not the fighting arts as in MMA and martial arts. I'm talking about the actual visual fine art of 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 combat. I couldn't have worded it better. I think um, you doing that is helping sh- just get more eyes on boxing and uh, fighters that they might not know. Because I feel there's so much art of somebody like Muhammad Ali, right? I mean, he's everyone knows right. him. He's an icon. Even somebody like Mike Tyson, but. But you do art, again, Ricky Hatton, for example, who some art collectors, obviously a lot of art collectors probably don't know. And you help get his face out there to uh, to these folks. So I think that's a great service for the sport of boxing. And uh, your stuff is great. Um, I, I loved your stuff on, on our covers and Ring. And um, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, sir. Um, all I can say is have a great night. And uh, well, actually, before I let you go, could you let everyone know where to follow you on your? Let me see your Twitter here. Um, I thought I had your Twitter pulled up. I was going to just give everyone. I always uh, ask people to give their uh, social media info, but oh, you're just Sloan Art. Yeah, right? it's, it's, you've just Sloan Art. Yeah, S L O N E. And uh, we we don't have a huge presence online. We don't sell really originals and prints. Uh, kind of sell out. Like we've never sold, uh, you know, canvas prints and stuff online. So, but but if you, if somebody does want them, then they should contact us through that that avenue or contact Geraldine or Ron or or you know I have quite a few dealers out there. Um, and if, if you look hard enough, you'll find me, man. You'll find the reclusive, the reclusive artist somewhere out there. You keep your <laughs> eyes open, and uh, and uh, yeah, man, you might, you might be sat next to me at a bar somewhere and not even know it. There you go. And Sloan is S L O N E, guys. I know a lot of people out there probably butcher your last name and make it S L O A N or something like that. So it's S L O N E, ladies and gentlemen. Richard T. Sloan. Thank you so much for being on the show. Michael, my pleasure, man. You have a wonderful, wonderful day, and and all your guests, all your uh, listeners and guests, everybody, have a wonderful day. And during this this hard time of boxing, because we are going through changes, yeah. As a as a fight family, I just think everybody needs to pull together and and uh, 
you, you, you know, realize what we, how special boxing is and how lucky we are to have it and the characters that are in it. And the guys like you, I want to thank you for doing your job because it's guys like you during these times that, that are going to keep this thing um, as the, uh, the sport of kings. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Have a good one. Okay, buddy. All right, we'll talk thank soon. You. you take care, my friend. You too. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Richard T. Sloan. Let's get the applause there. Let me hear. There it is. Richard T. Sloan. That was very interesting to talk to a guy that, you know, again, people see his art. They see, uh, you've seen the fight posters. You've seen his stuff on, on Ring. But a lot of people don't realize he boxed. And, I mean, to live with Joe Frazier and years later to live with Emmanuel Stewart, just the wealth of knowledge that man must have. If I, if I ever get to meet Richard in person, I, I definitely, sir, I will buy you a drink and let's just, I, I won't even talk. I'll just shut up and I just want to listen to you tell stories about Manny Stewart and Joe Frazier because that would be amazing. All right, guys, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, okay, so back to the preview because uh, I hit news and notes. We hit the review. And now we'll do a preview. Uh, I talked about Friday's card, Golden Boy on Zone from Indio. I like that. For those of you just joining the show, I talked about this a little earlier. Uh, Jaime Munguia, Toriano Johnson, that is a good middleweight crossroads fight. And then Rashidi Ellis versus Alexis Rocha, that is a great fight of two young guys coming up. Uh, I won't say that's crossroads, but that is a – kind of uh, make-or-break kind of situation for those two guys. So I really like that doubleheader Friday on the zone. Saturday, Murat Gassiev returning to the ring for the first time in over two years. But uh, he's supposedly was supposed to come back a couple times before and it fell through. So hopefully this time it goes off and he actually gets in the ring because uh, anytime he fights, we're going to want to see, right? Uh, he's an exciting fighter. All right. We've got three a three-headed monster Saturday on the three big platforms here in the United States. I talked about the bubble fights in Las Vegas uh, at the MGM Grand on ESPN+. Plus. Noyoya Inouye versus Jason Maloney. Again, I like Jason Maloney. I think he's a quality, good prize fighter, but the monster is a monster. And I just I think he's going to absolutely bludgeon and batter Maloney, and I see a big knockout in that fight. Um I'm thinking mid-rounds knockout could even happen before that. It really just depends on uh, how sharp Inoue looks because he hasn't been in the ring in almost a year. So uh, perhaps, perhaps it'll take him a few rounds to get going. There's also a lot of pressure on him because, uh, you know, recent signing with top rank, they're bringing him, uh, you know, to to Vegas and they're going to try to make him a feature now and a staple in, in Vegas. So there is some pressure on him. I actually think it's going to go to the mid-rounds maybe, but I expect a stoppage win. And then I think Michaela Mayer is going to get a world title in the co-main. All right, let's jump over to DAZN, uh Wembley Arena in London. Matchroom, putting on a, a good card here on DAZN. Um Well, not a great card, but a pretty solid one. Lee Selby, former fe- featherweight title holder, going up against an Australian, undefeated Australian, George Combosos, but uh, this is a big step up for the Aussie. He's 18 and 0. I get it. 135 pounds. Um, yeah, one second, guys. Ugh. Another political call. All right, hang on. 
Sorry about that. That was another one of those political calls, these robot calls. Uh, I can't wait till next week when this election is over and COVID goes away and I stop getting calls and texts from people telling me who to vote for. Anyway, before I was rudely interrupted by some person working for a politician who doesn't even know their name. Um, <laughs> uh, guys, yeah. So this card, Lee Selby, George Cambosos. Selby's too experienced. I think that he's going to win this fight uh, over the Aussie, but I don't know. Maybe the Aussie will show us something. He is the naturally bigger guy. This is the, a big step up fight for him. This is the first time he's going to face a guy with this level of experience as a pro. Main event. I'm excited for this fight. Some people are shitting on this fight. I like it. Alexander Usyk versus Derek Chisora. This is a good place setter for Alexander Usyk to see how he stacks up at heavyweight. Now, there are people out there saying that this is going to be a complete blowout, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's true. I I don't think so, though. I I see a competitive fight here at least early on through the mid-rounds because Derek Chisora is a full-fledged heavyweight. He's a big, strong guy, and Usyk is a natural cruiserweight who has bulked up to heavyweight. And let's face it. It's been two years. He's had one fight in two years, right? That was against Chaz Witherspoon. He had like 80 different opponents for that fight that kept falling out. He settled on Chaz Witherspoon. And uh, he's had a lot of injuries, man. He's had injuries that he's had to fight through. And uh, it just hasn't been this smooth transition. So do I think that Alexander Usyk skill-wise is levels above Derek Chisora? Yes. On a pound-for-pound stage, yes. But... In terms of just size, Derek Chisora is a big, strong guy, an experienced heavyweight, and he's been in there with top guys. Um, he's not a top 10, but he's a top 15. He's a top 15 on the cusp of top 10. And on any given night, Derek Chisora can give any heavyweight trouble. So I'm excited to see this fight just to see where Alexander Usyk stacks up. I mentioned this is his second fight at, uh, well, this will be his second fight in two years, his second fight at heavyweight. Witherspoon was last October. So, um, okay, another thing I want to talk about with Usyk, pound for pound. I tweeted out, and I even posted on my YouTube channel, um, a graphic, a picture of our updated pound for pound rankings at ring, our ratings, our pound for pound ratings. And, um, People were like, where's Tyson Fury? Where's Tyson Fury? And I tried explaining, and I've said this before. Some people agree, some people don't. But personally, most most boxing writers agree with me. You do not rate heavyweights on the pound-for-pound list until they have very much separated themselves from the pack and or owned the division for years. Tyson Fury is the top guy right now, but... The Klitschko win was five years ago. Between that and what he did with Deontay Wilder earlier this year, five years of not much, okay? So there isn't this long history of owning the division. There's these two really good wins, but it's him right now and Anthony Joshua. The winner between him and Anthony Joshua, that's pound for pound, okay? And I say that, and there's people that go, well, what about Usyk? He's a heavyweight. Why is he on the pound-for-pound list? And I'm like, you do realize he fought before 2019, right? He was a cruiserweight. He cleaned out his division. He is arguably the most accomplished cruiserweight ever. And he moved up in weight and is now fighting guys bigger than him. His pound-for-pound rating 
came from his work at cruiserweight. Now, if he struggles or loses to Derek Chisora, as some people are hoping and predicting, hoping for and predicting, then he's off the pound for pound list. But it's so guys, nuance matters is all I'm saying. And Alexander Usyk, I think absolutely rates pound for pound because of his work at the cruiserweight division. Yes, he's a heavyweight right now, but he's not a natural heavyweight. Okay. It should be a pretty easy thing to understand. If you rate Tyson Fury on your pound for pound list, that's cool. But I just personally don't, and most people on the ring ring ratings committee agree with me. You don't rate a heavyweight until they have clearly, clearly separated themselves. And the winner between Fury and Anthony Joshua, if and when that happens, they will do that, and they will be on the pound-for-pound pound list. Until then, you're just outside of it. All right, real quick here. Let's preview this PBC on Showtime pay-per-view. And now I'm going to get on my political soapbox a little bit here because I have to. This card should not be on pay-per-view. I get it. The fanagers and the pay-per-view buy bros and the, the pocket watchers and pocket checkers, you're all going to jump all over this. I understand. It's the business of boxing right now. You got to go to pay-per-view to make the big dollars. I get it, okay? There's the short game and there's the long game. What Top Rank just did with Tiafima Lopez on ESPN is going to make him a star down the road. Gervonta Davis, perhaps against Leo Santa Cruz, will do 200,000 or so pay-per-view buys. That is not going to equate to the 3 million live viewers Tiafima Lopez had when he upset Lomachenko, who was a, a star name. Not a superstar brand in boxing, but a star name. Even MMA guys like Joe Rogan and stuff talked about Lomachenko, right? He, he was kind of somewhat of a crossover in the fight sports world. And Lopez just upset him on regular ESPN in front of 3 million people. Tank Davis is fighting a guy in Leo Santa Cruz that nobody wanted to see him fight. Leo Santa Cruz, I think, has one fight north of uh, 126 pounds, I believe. Let me, let me go to his resume real quick and double check. But, yes, he has one fight. His last fight was at 130 pounds. Every other fight of his was at 126 or below. The bulk of his career was at 122 and 118. He is not a lightweight. And Gervonta Davis is definitely a lightweight who claims he's going to make 130 for this fight. He's going to squeeze down and make 130. Um, But he's clearly the bigger guy. These are not two fighters that need to be fighting each other. We should be seeing Gervonta Davis go after the top fighters. If he wants to stay at 130, cool. But he hasn't shown us that at least not consistently on the scale. If he wants to stay at 135, that's cool too. Fight the best fighters in the division. So not only is this a fight that nobody wanted to see, it's on pay-per-view. That's going to limit the audience. And what you're going to have is the fanagers and people saying, well, it's about the, the social media impressions on Twitter. And it's about this and about that. And they'll talk about all these things. That's great. But you got to get in front of people. Uh, your fights need to be seen. And you could say, well, if you include streaming numbers, this many million people are watching. Okay, great. If that's what you're going for is the, the numbers of eyes, then don't, don't put the thing on pay-per-view so people have to stream it. Put it on, just put it on regular showtime. But again, put it on Fox. That Charlotte doubleheader should have been on Fox. But even more than that, this fight should, because Gervonta Davis does move the needle. Gervonta Davis has sold out venues uh, not just in his, his hometown, 
but he's done it here in Atlanta. I saw him. He's fought over in the UK. He's fought in different markets, right? And he's done uh, good numbers. He fought in Los Angeles and did good numbers there. He does sell tickets. He does move the needle on social media, but his audience is limited. If he wants to get the mainstream audience and branch out and get other groups of people watching his fights outside of diehard fight fans and people from Baltimore in the hip hop community, uh, Floyd Mayweather fans watching this stuff, man, you got to branch out and you got to be fighting on regular TV. So I just, I really wish this fight was on Fox. I really, really do. I think it's a big mistake to put it on pay-per-view, but I've been telling you guys since last year that this is what they were going to do. I was told by Leonard Ellaby pretty much. I mean, he couldn't say it outright, but he pretty much, because I know how to read between the lines. Uh, I knew what he was saying. And I've been telling you guys, it's going to be him and Leo Santa Cruz in 2020. Well, here we are. So some people think that this is going to be a super competitive, very, very close fight. If Gervonta Davis is on weight, he has no issues making weight and is sharp and focused, I think he wins this fight pretty handedly. I do think it probably goes the distance because Leo Santa Cruz has shown a good chin. He knows how to survive and cover up. I think this is going to be not an exact replay, but somewhat similar to Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia. That's just how I see this fight playing out. Also on this card, uh, Mario Barrios and Regis Progre are in showcase fights. They're both going to get big wins. Diego Magdaleno and Isaac Cruz Gonzalez. That is going to be Diego Magdaleno, recent guest on the show, friend to TNC. I think that's going to be a good fight. I think that fight could steal the show just because of the matchups. But assuming this thing gets 200,000 pay-per-views, assuming, and that's a big assumption because the Charlo pay-per-view didn't even do... I'm hearing as much as 110. I'm also hearing some people say it was just a shade short of 100,000. But either way, this is going to do more than that. I think this will, because Davis does move the needle. Assuming it does 200,000 though, that's maybe six, $7 million in revenue, which is great. The fighters get paid and everything, but does this, does this build Tank Davis's brand at all? I, I don't know about that. And The issue is, from this point forward, his handlers will say, Gervonta Davis is a pay-per-view fighter. We went on pay-per-view. We made six, seven million dollars, whatever it is. Say they make eight, nine million dollars. Going forward, that's going to be the number he needs to fight. And now he's a pay-per-view fighter, just like the Charlo brothers. Now they're going to be pay-per-view fighters. Errol Spence, Deontay Wilder, all these guys are going to be pay-per-view fighters going forward. That's going to that's gonna hurt the brand. That's going to hurt boxing. We need less pay-per-views, not more of them. That's just my political soapbox. Let's jump over here. We got a call. Um, I got like 5% left on my battery, so hopefully my phone doesn't die. Hey, out. Mike. 619, what's up, man? You're on the show. Hey, Mike, it's Tim from San Diego. Tim from San Diego. What's going on? Uh, not much, man. I just wanted to shoot the shit with you. We've had, uh, we've had quite the month, huh? Hell yeah, man. We got a couple great fights. Yeah, I mean, people are still bitching and moaning, but we've had some great fights. You know, they have really no reason to. I mean, yeah. I think we should all be on the same page, especially about T.O., you know. He uh, he earned that belt. You know, he went in there. He did what he had to do on that night. Right. Uh, yeah, sure, Lomachenko had a bad night at the office, but that's what that was, a bad night at the office, right? You lose those belts, no rematch clause, and that's on him. Yeah. So. You know, kid's got to do what he's got to do. He's got to move on with that career. So, 
Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, if, I know. if he wants to move forward and doesn't want to do a rematch, then th- that's his prerogative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, and it's a shame for the fans. It's a shame for us. But, you know, on the same, on the same uh, I guess on the flip side of that, I'd say, you know, it, he's got to do what's best for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, if he, if day, he goes and, up uh, to 140 and he ends up fighting the winner between Taylor and Ramirez, I'm, I, I got to say, I'm way more interested in that fight than a rematch between Lopez and Lomachenko. I just think a fight between him um, and the Taylor-Ramirez winner is an awesome fight, man. Oh, yeah, 1,000% agree. Um, what do you think about uh, Gaio Strada Chocolatito 2 at the old step-up? Well, that's what they're talking about, man. Eddie Hearn's talking about that for early next year. He wants um, – not only does he want fans to be there, but he wants to do it where they can, like, fill it up and not do the, you know, social yeah, no. distance seating. So um, I think that bowl usually <laughs> seats, like, seven or 8,000. But I yeah. – they've done additional seating. I think uh, Triple G did, like, 10,000 there once. So – even if they just seated it regularly right. and got seven, eight thousand people in there, dude, that would be awesome. I can't wait for it. No, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Would you fly back for that one? Probably, <laughs> I probably would, man. I'd yeah, have assuming to. travel restrictions up and everything. Yeah, yeah, that would be one where it's yeah. like, okay, I'm I'm flying out there. We're doing an LA trip and hanging out and getting some work. You know getting work in there too, but you know, we'd turn that into like a trip where you could see friends and everything. And that would be yeah. awesome. Right. How could you not? Right. That'd be yeah. perfect. Perfect excuse to come out. Hell yeah. All right. Well, you know, I'm really excited about Italy and uh, Maloney at the end of the month. That's going to be fun times. Yes. You know? I think, I think it's going to crush kind of... him, but I feel kind of bad. For well, Maloney, I think... but... Yeah. I think that's a given, but you know, with the way things have been going with the uh, COVID and the way things have been since people been coming back, you know, maybe he True. might actually last a little longer. True. Good point. Yeah. I, I, if that's the way it is, you know, I expect maybe in a way might fold him in half by 10. Yeah. I don't know about yeah. seven. That's a little, it, yeah. it, it's going to, it's, it's almost than the bookmakers are making what round, you know, it, it's not like a question of if, but when I just, in a way it's just, oh, he, yeah, <laughs> he really is a monster, man. Uh, you know, I, so I'm looking yeah, forward absolutely. to seeing him. And then, uh, you know, of course, there's Tank this weekend. Uh, that's, you know, it's kind of a joke. I mean, I, assuming Tank skips a meal, shows up uh, to the fight, I expect him to eat Lopez. So that'll, or not Lopez. <laughs> I just saying Lopez, my bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do what you meant. I do what you meant. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. you like him yeah. big in that fight over Santa Cruz? Like, you think it's going to be a big win? Yeah, over Santa Cruz. Yeah, well, well, Santa Cruz is fast, but, like, that's all he really, you know, and, I mean, feather fist, man. So. Yeah. <laughs> He just doesn't yeah. have the power to you. A guy like Tank, you got to keep him off of you, and if you can't do that, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it, it's not going to happen. So, I mean, I think everybody knows what's going to happen there, and I think the bookmakers probably got it right. So. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, great month overall, right? Hell yeah, man! Hell yeah! Boxing's back, baby. Boxing's back. Yeah. All right, it was good talking, man. All right, man. Call right. any time, bro. Take care. You too, man. Right. See ya. All right, there he goes. Tim from San Diego. Guys, uh, my battery is at 2%. So we got one call. We're going to have to make it super-duper quick because my battery is about to die. I should have charged it, but, you know, I'm hungover today. So 447, you're on the show. We got to make it super-duper quick. My battery is about to die. (laughs) Hello, Mike. How are you? Hello, Mike. It's Hamid. 
Hi, What's up, man? We got to do it real quick. My yeah, battery's I'll, I'll about to die. I'll keep it brief. All right. Uh, since that's the, uh, that's the case, I was just going to say, is there any news on Walder? Because we still haven't heard about what's going on with the Walder. No situation. news? I know Fury's... No news, I don't but... I fight. Yeah. Fury is going to fight December 5, um, but uh, no news from Wilder other than him firing his, his trainer. But that might that might be a good thing because if Wilder's taking this time to train and to get back to basics, maybe that's what he needs to do and get off social media and just focus on being a fighter, you know? Yeah, so, you know, this is what I wanted to find out. If, uh, if the fight doesn't happen this year and Wilder fight say someone like Andy Ruiz next year does that mean the contracts then being uh what's the word the contracts uh expired or whatever I don't know I don't know if um I don't think it's expired if Fury fights somebody but I, if Wilder fights somebody it might be expired I, I think um there's definitely got to be a date range or something in there because a contract like that can't be forever uh, but I would think like after a year or something, it's null and void. But I, I just don't know the details of it, man. I'm not sure. But right. I think it'd be better for Wilder yeah. to fight someone like Andy Ruiz, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thanks for thinking about calling. I'll call in earlier next uh, okay. I'll let you go before your phone dies. All right, yeah, I'm at 1%, man. Uh, thanks a lot, Habib. Bye, sir.